All right, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. Um, if you don't have a Bible on you, there should be one under the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home as our gift to you. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We're, we're walking through a series through the book of Ephesians. And when we started this, we, we were talking about how the book is, is divided into, into really two sections, verses one, or chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. The first half talking about the gospel, just laying it out. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is how you are transformed and changed. The second half then, is, hey, when that gospel really invades your life, when you're really changed, this is what it will look like. This is what it's going to look like in, in your heart, in your life, in your walk. This is going to look like in, in your church, in your relationships. We're still in the first half here, which is so good. Man, I, I, I just love the first three chapters here. I hope you're reading through Ephesians on your own. And, and Paul has just given us in chapter one this cosmic view of the gospel, this before time began, how God um, had his love placed on you, that he's, he predestined you, he predecided to love you. That's the cosmic view of the gospel. Now he's starting to, to narrow it down, saying, hey, hey, not just this big broad view of the gospel, but now narrowing it down, saying, this is what it is for you personally. Now I keep using this word gospel, and I'm just going to assume that, that everybody knows what it means. It, it literally means good news. Gospel is good news. And, and the, the thing about good news is that good news really isn't good news until it enters into bad places, right? It's the, give me the bad news, and then give me the good news. If you're buried in debt, you're slaving away at your job, and, and someone says, I've got good news for you, your debt is paid, you can relax today. That's good news coming to a dark place, right? Now, if you're sitting on a huge retirement fund and you're chilling on your dock in your mortgage-free home on Lake Joe and someone says, you can relax today, you're like, mm, okay, thanks. Like, I kind of already am, right? When a doctor calls because you've had the tests run and what they sure was, they were sure this was a life-threatening illness and they call you and they say, the tests are clear, it's good news. You're totally healthy, that's good news. If my doctor fires me a, a text or phones me and says, hey, Kai, I got um, some good news for you. You're healthy today. I'm like, uh, obviously, right? It's, it's, just, it's not good. It's, it's good news happens when it comes into a dark place. And some people do not hear the good news of the gospel because we don't know the diagnosis. We don't know the bad news of where we're at. And so you can be in, in church and you can hear all about the gospel and you can be thinking, this is great. Save from what? redeemed from what, rescued from what, de delivered from what. And if you don't have a sense of the danger, you don't really have an urgency for a savior. It's drowning people that call out for a lifeguard, right? If your house is on fire, you're, you're screaming for the fire department. If, you, if an intruder shows up, you're calling for the police. But if you don't know there's a problem, you don't know you need to be rescued. So what happens in the first three verses of chapter two here, it's the diagnosis. This is not the good news that we're going to start with. It's beginning with the bad news. All right, so if you get up and you have to go to the washroom partway through the sermon, please come back. All right, it'll be a horrible sermon if you leave just with the bad news. All right, like make sure you stay for the whole thing because there is good news coming. But look at verse one of chapter two. It says this, and you, let's stop there. It's going to be a long sermon. We're doing every two words here. All right. <laughs> Who's Paul talking about here? And you. He's talking about you and me. 
I mean, if, if you read this and you're, we're about to get to the bad news, and if you think, oh, that bad news, I get it. That's for so-and-so. That's, that's for those people. No, no, no. He's saying this is for you. Don't miss the good news by, by, by skipping past the bad news. And here comes the bad news. And you, what's it say? We're dead. You were dead. I've said this before. The good news is not about bad people getting better. It's about dead people coming to life. It says you were dead. You were not bad. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. It's a far worse situation. So the, the good news is not this. <coughs> God is good. You are bad. Try harder. That's not good news. That's good advice. It's not good news. The good news is this. You are dead. God is life, and he wants to bring you from death to life. You're not kind of messed up, and you need a, a life coach to come alongside. You know, we're dead. In fact, I've heard it described this way. If you, you think about your phone, and you've got your phone on, you get that, that dreaded feeling when you look down at it, and the battery is on red, and it's like 2%, right? And there's that sick feeling. What do I get? And you're, you're looking everywhere for a cord, and if you're like me and you have teenagers at home, they're always stolen, right? Like, who took my plug? Where? And you're looking for it to get it plugged in, right? Here's the thing. You, you power that phone up. 100%, we're good now. Well, you're not, right? Because you know it's going to drain again. You're going to need to plug it in again. And, and you and I are, are like that phone. We're, we're not independent. We're, we're dependent beings. We're, we're made by the living God. And, and when we sinned against him, this started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve said, we're dependent. We, we, we don't want to be, we're independent. We don't want to be dependent on you, God. We're, we're going to be our own source for life. And in sin, they unplug from the only source of life that brings life. And now every one of us, following that same pattern, we all start out life in the same way. We're all unplugged. We're all in sin. We're all dead. Listen, you could be here this morning and, and living physically, but dead spiritually. And if you're dead spiritually, listen, listen, we know that everybody dies. This is, the, the statistics on death are overwhelming. They're like 100%, all right? I Googled it. I looked it up. It's for real. And after physical death, we will stand before God. And, and if you die and you're still unplugged from the source of life, you will experience, listen, eternal death. Separated from God for eternity under punishment, separated from grace, not connected to the grace of God. And that's horrible news. To be that dead, to continue in death, eternally separated from God. But here, here's the good news. I, I believe that, that if, if that's where you are, if you're like, man, if that's who I am, maybe God brought you here to just hear that. That he predestined this time for you because God wants to bring you from death to life. Again, we're not just bad hoping to be a little better. We're sinners in need of a Savior. Paul says, you're dead. What's he say? He goes on. We're dead in the trespasses. Right? It's like if you're out walking around, maybe you're out hunting or snowmobiling, and you come across a sign on a fence post, and it says, no trespassing. What do you realize? In that moment, you're like, oh, there's a boundary here. That as long as I'm over on this side, I'm okay. But if I step beyond that boundary... I've now broken the rules. I'm now in a place I'm not supposed to be, and there could be consequences for that. See, God's word is filled with boundary markers. God's word is filled with, hey, hey, follow me and live in this way. 
And when we cross those, we've trespassed. We've crossed a line. We're in a place where we're not supposed to be, and there are consequences for that. And Paul goes on, he says, dead in our trespasses and sins. Just another word for it, sin, missing the mark. We're, We're not where we should be. We're not living as we should be. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. He's saying this, that you were dead and because you're dead, you're, you're following the world. You're following the, the systems and the patterns and the ideas and you're grabbing a hold of, of whatever we wanted, that, that when we were dead, we were our own Lord. Following the prince of the power of air, that's another word for Satan, the one who's actually leading the world. And we're like, that's where we were. Look at verse three. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Paul's making a distinction here. He started out in verse one saying, you were dead. And now he's saying in verse three, we all were there. He's writing to Gentiles and he's saying, hey, you guys, this is where you were as Gentiles, separated from God. And then he goes, not just you, us Jews as well. He's saying religion wasn't the answer. We were doing the same thing. We were living in the passions of our flesh. We were doing whatever our our hearts desired and our body desired. Religion wasn't the answer. Here's what that means for us this morning as Christ followers. We're the we in, in this verse now. Even if you've come to Christ, that that you now say, hey, us too. Christians don't look down their nose on anyone. If if someone rolls into church or into your life and they have the obvious stink of death on them, they're they're far from God, obvious sins, and they're like, hey, here's my life, man. Here's the baggage of sins I bring. As Christians, we should not be shocked by that. I don't understand why Christians lose their mind when they look at the world and they see how the world is living and acting. Man, look at them. I can't believe they're doing that. The world hasn't claimed Jesus as Lord, so of course they're just going to roll with whatever sin comes along. That's the sin of fashion of today, that that's where they're going to be moving in. And Paul reminds us here, that was you too. Heard it said this way, you can't look down your nose while at the same time looking up at the cross of Christ. When someone says, I've got some sin baggage, a group of Christians who get the good news of grace should be like, me too. We all do. This is why I don't shy away from saying that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because it's amazing. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now, I get it. Just just two weeks ago, I I, I preached this because in in chapter one, Paul says you're you're a saint. Well, wait a minute. How can I be a saint and a sinner? Listen, listen. it's awesome to think that you are a saint in Christ, right? You don't need to die and be voted on and be sold as a necklace somewhere, right? No, right now, you're a saint if you're in Christ. That is such good news. At your core identity, you're a saint. While at the same time, Don't leave me up here all alone. At the same time, we still struggle with sin, amen? Right. And so if if you really know Jesus, if you you get the gospel down to a heart and soul level, you don't need to shy away from the, the wrestle with sin where you can say, I'm a sinner, but grace, it's no longer who I am. It I'm not a slave to it anymore. It doesn't define me anymore. And we all roll in here this morning. We all come into church this morning, every one of us in need of a savior. 
would say this, man, a church that gets grace is the safest place for busted up broken people. Because we don't take our eyes off the cross to look down at anyone. Instead, we're like, I was dead too. I was lost too. And when you recognize the bad news, it just gives you that much more joy and appreciation for the good news. In fact, look how Paul wraps up this bad news in verse 3. He says, we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Apart, apart from Christ, he says, you are children of wrath. What we deserve by our own decisions, by our own choices, we deserve the wrath of God. And listen, nobody has to teach us that we're children of wrath. Like if you have kids, you don't have to teach your kids to sin. Anybody have like, okay, on Monday nights, we're going to learn about sin and how to do it, right? Like, like I know kids seem so cute, so it, so it sounds offensive to say this, but, but kids are black-hearted sinners, right? Never once in my home have I walked up to Libby, took away the remote and said, mine, and then bit her. I've never done that, all right? Nobody has to teach my kids to do that, right? Why? Because that's just there, by nature, sinners. I get it. Some people are like, no, 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 not, not me. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really good. Compared to who? Compared to an almighty God? I mean, seriously, just go through the basics of ethics, like, like, like kindergarten basics. Take the Ten Commandments. How are we doing on those? The first and second commandment, that, that, that we should worship God alone and not have any other idols. Like, have you ever worshipped anything else? Have you ever put your hope in, your life in someone or something else? Third commandment, don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's, that's more than just cussing. Like, it's where you belittle the name of God. It's where, where you're glib about the things of God. Ever done that? Maybe you're doing okay on those, and you get to the fourth one. You're like, I'm, I made it pretty far. Like, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm, I'm winning at this. Lying is number nine. It's coming up, okay? Right? But you, you get to number four, and it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Like, I, honestly, in our culture, I think we, does that one even count anymore? Right? Number five, obey your parents. You've been a teenager. You've, you've, you've failed that one, all right? That's a joke. Number six, now you can get to number six, you can be like, man, I'm crushing this one. Number six, I can own this one. It's, number six is do not murder. And you're like, I haven't murdered anyone. Congratulations, that's awesome, all right? But, but Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he kind of says this. He says, hey, hey, if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. Well, that makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? Number seven, don't commit adultery. And again, Jesus Knocks us down a little bit. If we're like, I'm clear on this one. He says, if you ever lusted in your heart, you've already broken this one. Every guy in the room is like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Every grown woman who's watched Outer Banks, you're like, I'm out too. <laughs> you haven't seen JJ takes his shirt? Anyway, okay. <laughs> Number eight is lying. Number nine is stealing. How are you doing so far? Number 10 says, do not covet. All right, that's called HGTV, all right, for those who are following along, all right, am I right? You watch, like, man, I wish I had that. If only, I, I, like, that's coveting. We all sin. We're sinners. If you want to stand up and argue, no, not me. I, I, I do all of those. I'm 10 for 10 in the Ten Commandments. That's the big one. That's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. That's pride, right? We're all sinners, all of us, deserving the wrath of God. And I get that's not a nice message to hear. But let's not shy away from the bad news. 
Because there's a comma after that. It's not a period. It's not this is where you are and where you always will be. But let's not forget what we're saved from. Let's not belittle God's God's holiness and his wrath against sin. When we create our own God, we say we want a God who's cool with sin. Like like God's like the the nice old grandpa. He pats us on our head. He gives us a, a word. There's candy. He says, don't worry about it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is a God of justice, of righteousness, of holiness, of wrath against sin. And and the wrath of God, as we read about it all through Scripture, it should create in us this this sense of urgency to know I'm under a death sentence outside of Christ. And the clock is ticking. Like, there's no second chance on this. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus isn't just a better choice. Jesus is life. And listen, hell is real. I'm not a real bold guy with evangelizing. I'm, I got a lot of respect for people who just are like talking to strangers on the street. Um, I, I got to grow in that. And I, I was talking with a, a person who was cutting my hair just a little while ago. And for some reason, you ever listen to podcasts of famous preachers that are always talking about the person they sat with on the plane and they're like sharing the gospel? I don't have any of the plane stories, but for some reason, people who cut my hair, man, I'm just like, let's do this. And, and usually because when someone's cutting your hair, they start asking questions. Hey, what's your day look like? Hey, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. And this person says, well, what kind of pastor are you? I'm like, well, that's a weird question. I'm like, I, I guess I'm kind of old school. I believe the Bible. I believe we're sinners. I believe Jesus came and lived without sin, that he, he died in our place. I believe in all the Jesus stuff. And, and, and if you put your hope in Jesus, there's, there's new life. And if, if you don't put your hope in Jesus, yeah, there's hell. She's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you think I'm going to hell? I'm like, oh, no. Like, she, <laughs> she has scissors in her hand, right? I'm not saying she could kill me, but she could make me look pretty bad. And, and uh, I'm like, listen, I don't judge anybody. That, that's Jesus' job. I don't know your heart. Jesus knows your heart. You're going to give account to Jesus. So, so maybe the question would be, do you, do you love Jesus? She's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, do, do you believe that he's God? No. Do you believe that he lived and died and rose again? No. Like, then, yeah, I guess I do believe you're going to hell. She's like, are you trying to get me saved? I'm like, yes, totally, right? Like, some people would say, man, that's, that's rude and offensive to say that. that, that that's unloving. Listen, it's not me. I'm not, I'm not a very um, I'm, I'm in-your-face kind of guy, but, but, but here's the thing. It's the most unloving thing not to tell somebody. If someone's driving their car and they're heading for a cliff and you're just waving and smiling as they go, how horribly unloving is that? The bad news, outside of Christ, we are dead. We are lost. We are children of wrath. Listen, sin's a big deal. It's sin that killed Jesus. It's a big deal. There is no little sin. That Whenever you jump on that porn site, you didn't just sin against the girl. You didn't just sin against your own body. You sinned against an almighty God. Whenever you use your words in a hurtful way, whenever you hold back on forgiveness, knowing that Christ forgave everything in you, regardless of what the sin is, it's a sin against an almighty God, the holy, righteous creator of the universe. 
Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he stands before God, and Isaiah says, I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. He says, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a people, part of a people of unclean lips. And you could be like, Isaiah? Dude, you wrote like one of the biggest books in the Bible. You're a pretty great guy. But when you see God for who he is, and you see yourself because you see the holiness and the rights of God, and that, that bright light begins to expose your heart, and you see yourself at a deep heart level, you begin to see, man, I'm not somebody who needs a little help. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But here's my favorite two words in this whole passage. Look at verse 4. But God. Well, let's not move too quickly. The bad news really is bad news. But, but this is where the grace of God is so beautiful and so life-changing. When, when you get the grace of God, you're okay with, with saying, yeah, this is my heart. Man, I was dead, but God. Man, I still wrestle with sin, but God. And here comes the good news. Because you would expect after reading those first three verses, after recognizing, wait a minute, that's who I really am. Like, that's my sin in light of the holiness of God. You would think the next verse would be, you better run fast. You better get away from God. Because, because the God of the universe is not cool with your sin. But look what it says, but God being what? Rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, that, that verse is crazy. That, that verse makes no sense. Like, really think about it. And maybe you've been raised in church your whole life, so you're kind of inoculated to the gospel. You're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But like, look at it with fresh eyes, that God would relate to us with mercy and grace. There, there's this, this freeing or, or, or liberating contradiction between what we deserve and what we get. Think about the Bible constantly, all through Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. The Bible's pounding this truth home. That God relates to us according to His grace, based on His love, not based on what we deserve. All of Scripture, pounding this truth home. You, you look at the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, you're like, man, they were messed up. It's all grace. It's not your striving. It's all grace. You get to the New Testament, Jesus telling story after story it, where, where, where God chooses the bad son, not the good son. Where God chooses the Samaritan, not the priest. God chooses over and over again to love all of the wrong people. And Jesus made the religious people of his day so mad. Why? Because he loves sinners. By grace, you've been saved. Grace, it's unmerited favor. It means we don't get what we deserve. You look at these verses. It's not striving harder. It's God doing all the work here. You were dead. Now you're made alive. It's, it's not like, well, if you come to church enough, if you raise your hand enough, if you, if you say the right prayer, if you go on a mission trip, that, that's not what makes you okay with God. It's God who comes after you. He pursues you. And here's the amazing part. God knows what he's getting into when he pursues you, and he pursues you anyway. That he already knew the, the, the kind of junk you were going to be getting into. He already knew the struggles you're going to have. He goes, no, I choose you. I mean, that just should stir our heart in worship. It should bring freedom to how we walk. Because listen, you didn't earn it to begin with. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. And look at the result. Look at verse 6. 
It says that he raises us up with him and seats, seated us with him at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that, seated. It's already happened. In fact, in, fact, in the original language, it's, it's perfect past tense. It means it happened and it's done. You are made alive with Christ. It's already happened, and into the future, you can, it's a guarantee. You, you, you're now seated with Christ, like right now. I mean, do you know what that means? It means that as a Christian, that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Now listen, we're going to get to the whole process of how do we walk in that? What sanctification look like? What's it look like to grow more and more like Christ? We're going to get into that as we go through Ephesians. Because listen, we don't always feel like saints, right? I don't always feel like I'm seated next to Christ as a co-heir of the kingdom. But God's at work because he's the one doing the work. God's at work bringing your present reality in line with his eternal view of you. But, but as you wrestle with that, know this, Christ follower, your identity is solid biblical truth. His view of you is certain. Your future, when you treasure Christ, love Christ, rest in his grace, your future is guaranteed. You're righteous. You're covered by the blood of Christ. That God sees Jesus when he looks at you. And if, if, if it's in Christ, it's a done deal. And so when I spend most of this sermon going over and over again, the idea that we are, we are sinners, like wretched, black-hearted sinners, it's, it's not the full story. It is true, but it's not the full story because of but God in verse 4, that now in Christ, you're alive, you're saved, you're changed. And you get this, when, when this starts to, to really sink deep in your heart and you get this, you see the reality of, look at verse seven. It says, so the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like when you see the rescue, when you celebrate all the more. Worship for you isn't a going through the motions. You're like, man, I know who I am, who I was. I know what God's done. You celebrate for eternity. We're gonna be amazed at the immeasurable riches of God's grace. His kindness poured out on, listen, those of us who did not deserve it. So if you come into our church and you don't know Jesus, and you're kind of figuring this thing out, and you look around, you say, man, these Christians, man, they're all such nice people. I, I could never be one of them. Let me let you in on a bit of a secret. We're all jacked up sinners apart from Christ's grace. I mean, every one of us. I was talking with somebody just last week as um, two people gave their life to Christ last Sunday and talking to one of them and just busted up, like, like just a life that's hard, just very difficult. And I said to her, I said, listen, you're in a good place here. I started to tear up and I said, none of us comes into this place clean. And she said, yeah, yeah, actually I was told you have baggage too. I'm like, why don't you guys shut up, right? Stop telling people that. No, I laugh, but it, it's this gut check, right? I'm like, yeah, I do have baggage. And I mean, sometimes it, it feels like just carry-on baggage, right? Like, oh, I can, I can kind of, I kind of got this. Sometimes it's, no, I got to check this baggage. This is hard. This is heavy. In reality, listen, we all have sin baggage. And sometimes it's baggage that doesn't even come down the carousel. It's like that baggage that goes to the other part of the airport where you got to go and pick it up because it's too heavy. It's too large. That's what makes these verses so good. That's what makes, look at verse eight, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. No one who understands grace walks into church with any sort of swagger. 
I mean, we get this. We get new life, new identity, new hope. It's all Jesus. It's a free gift. It costs Christ everything on the cross, but it's ours by his work. It's, it's why I keep saying the message of the gospel is not God is good, you're bad, try harder. The message of the gospel is this, you are dead, and by the power of Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, he paid the price on the cross so he could bring you to new life. You could be adopted into his family. You can walk in freedom. Amen. You're walking in freedom that he purchased for you. I, like, I, I would pray this, Lord, never let us move away from the amazing of amazing grace. I mean, I love how Paul talks about it in Philippians 3. He talks about all the amazing things that, that he's done in his life. It basically says if it was a contest for who's the most religious, I got you all beat. That's what he's saying in, in Philippians chapter 3. I, like, I win. If it's a competition, I win. He says, but then he says this, I count them all as loss. All of that is loss. He says, I've lost all things for the sake of Christ. And then he says this, he says, I count it all as rubbish. That word there, rubbish, it literally means dung. I think the translators translate it as rubbish because they know we're going to read it in church and nobody wants to get up and say, I count it all as crap, right? No, nobody wants to do that, right? So, but but like, unless you're British, nobody says, ooh, I stepped in some rubbish, right? We don't do that, right? But the, the word is actually a very hard word. It's a hard, and, and Paul's saying, if, if my whole life, if me having become a Christian had to do with my good works, like I'm going to bring this to God and say, hey, this is what I've got. This is what I'm bringing to you that I can have new life in exchange He's saying, it's, it's like this, it's, it's like on Mother's Day, your kid goes to the backyard and finds something your dog did, puts it in a box, says, Mom, I got you this. That's the imagery. When we think we can earn the grace of God, when you think you can earn what's already been paid for, the, the point is this, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. As the worship team comes up, look at where Paul takes all of this. Where does this celebration of grace lead us as we wrap this up this morning? None of us boasting in, in our new life. We're, we're boasting in grace. We're, we're worshiping God. Look at verse 10. As he wraps it all up, he says this, For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that. He's, he's saying he's working in us. He's working on us. He's going to work through us. But he, get the order right. Look at it again. That we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's our identity in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. Not good works that we do to earn our, our favor with God, but because we've been changed and filled by his spirit that we get to walk in good works. I love it. What's it say? Prepared beforehand. We're saved, we're, we're given a new heart and a heart that now can love Jesus, a heart that can love his word and our worship and our love is poured out in these good works that God says, I already had them prepared for you. Just tuck in close behind me. And, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. We're getting close to Christ and we're gonna walk in a way with these, these works that we get to do. And so my question for you is this, with Christ in you and Christ through you, understanding the amazing of the gospel, What's God calling you to today? Maybe it's something you know that God's been pressing in on your heart, a sin that you need to let go of. And he's saying, trust me, treasure me. 
don't hold back this morning. Instead, recognize that the sin that you're holding on to, you don't have to anymore. It's not who you are. You're not a slave to it any longer. That you can say, Lord, I give this to you. I'm now, uh, I'm, I'm now going to be one who walks in the goodness of your grace. What, what sin would that be? Maybe it's somewhere where God's calling you to serve or to give or someone to talk to and you know God's put them in your life at your workplace and you know, man, I know why God's done this because he wants me to share the good news with them. Like, like if God's calling you that, understand this, it's a work he prepared before time. That takes a lot of the fear out, doesn't it? You say, I'm just gonna tuck in behind Jesus. He's gonna do the work and if it doesn't happen, it's on him because I'm just gonna be obedient. Maybe this morning as a dad, you're convicted. You want to grow, and you want to grow as being the one who disciples and leads your family. And Maybe you hear this idea of all in, and what's that look like for you? Is it, man, maybe for the first time I'm going to jump into this life group. Maybe I've had a bad experience in church before, but I'm, I'm all in on this. I want to engage in the mission. I want to jump in together. And the, the cool thing here with these works being prepared ahead of time, God preordaining all of this, that you can say, I feel so weak, though, to do any of that. I don't know if I can accomplish this. Put the whole verses together. Put it all together that, that you and I now made completely alive. Yeah, we still live in this body of death, so we feel the difficulty of it. But at the same time, yeah, I've got this wickedness and this sin, but at the same time, I've been made alive in Christ, made new, and now he's filled me with, with power, more power than we've ever experienced before, the, the power of the resurrection at work in us so that we can live out this identity. Church, you've been, a made, you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've been given resurrection power to live out that victory. Let's see what God does. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, I thank you that you've, um, you've lavished grace on us. Grace on the foolish, grace on the weak, on the despised, on the guilty. Grace poured out on the nothing so that you alone get the glory. Thank you that you pursue us. You pursue those who aren't confused by their need, the desperate, the bad, the selfish, the shameful. You pursue us, and grace is such good news. God, I pray that across this room, those whose lives may be marked more by failure than by success and goodness, that they would be able to celebrate even now. Celebrate the grace of the gospel, the good news, that yes, we were so separated from a holy God, but by Christ's goodness, by God's mercy, because of his love, we've been brought near, transformed, our identity completely changed, our hope secure. God, send us out of here on mission, a mission to tell others of the good news of this grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate his grace now.